welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 43, and we will be looking at um, verse 15 and onwards today. This is an incredibly interesting scripture uh, that if you've ever read Isaiah, which I assume most people have in here, it's a prophetic book. Uh, most of the prophecies in Isaiah have already been fulfilled, uh, including this one. But this is, a, this is a word that God gives to the prophet Isaiah, to the nation of Israel. Um, who knows that God is Jehovah Jireh? So that means God sees ahead and he provides. And a lot of people mix up God's sovereignty. They think, well, yes, God is all sovereign, he's all powerful. So why doesn't God just see ahead and do something? Why does God just see ahead and stop it? Well, that's not how God works. He works in kingdom laws, kingdom principles. But what he does do is he sees ahead and he provides the solution for the problem. And so this scripture shows us this, that God sees that uh, Israel is going to be overrun by the Babylonians, by their enemies, right? They're going to be taken away into exile. There's going to be this big battle. They're going to be taken away from the promises, away from the promised land, the land of Canaan. In their exile, you could imagine how they'll be feeling. They'll be oppressed by their enemies. They'll be, they might be angry at God. They, they'll be feeling in deep emotional turmoil, physical pain, emotional pain, um, feelings of hopelessness, uh, maybe failure, thinking, God, where are you? And so there's this, God sees that this is going to happen, right? He sees that Israel is going to be taken away out of the promised land. And so the whole scripture is about their restoration. God is declaring through the prophet Isaiah, Israel's restoration. Yeah. Uh, restoration in the Greek comes from the word uh, apokatastasis. Yeah, a bit of a tongue twister. I did well too. Um, but it, it means a re-establishment. So if you think of God's restoration for Israel, it's a re-establishment back into the promised land, a re-establishment for them. And see, it's the Father's heart. It is His deep, deep desire. See, the, the Apostle John says in, in 1 John chapter 3 that He's lavished His love upon us. He's lavished His love upon you. It is His deep heart, His deep desire to restore His people, to restore, to bring re-establishment. And so... It's the same for our lives. There's areas in our lives that need re-establishment. There's areas that need, where you need restoration. So think about family, relationships, your health, your finances. Uh, if you think on the level of your soul, so your mind, your will, your emotions. Everyone, it can be different for different people, but everyone has a need for restoration in a certain area. There are areas where, where you don't want to think about, or areas where it's tender, where, where areas of pain when you think about it, or areas where you feel hopeless, you feel like God can't move there, you, 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 just, you feel defeated, oppressed by the enemy in that area. And see, we all have a, a certain need for restoration in, in one of these areas of life. And so it's, it's the Father's desire that you would receive that. I remember when I was in my late teens, and, and God wanted me... To, he wanted to restore my identity. So I was a son of God, but I wasn't living like a son. And so there were areas of my soul that the Father wanted to restore. So areas of, 
uh, failure, uh, you know, areas of shame, low self-esteem, all, all stuff that you can go through in your teens. But that's just one area. That's just one example for you. And maybe there's people here where God wants to do a restoration on your soul. You've got areas of, of, of where you feel like you don't measure up, areas of shame. But that's just one example where God wants to bring a re-establishment to his promises for our life. The areas in our life that don't line up with his promises, he wants to bring a re-establishment to that. So this scripture is full of wisdom, revelation, and keys on how to partner with God in that. Because who knows that we're in a relationship with the Father? So a relationship is 50-50 or 100%, 100%, whatever you want to go with that. But there's something we have to do too. See, God does the work, but we also have to partner with that. And so this scripture will show us some keys. So let us begin. Verse 15. So remember Israel. They'll be in exile. I am the Lord, your Holy One. Israel's creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, Snuffed out like a wick. I mean, I love this scripture. Many of you may know it. But Israel is in this great time of need. And what's the first thing that God does? Is he reminds them of who he is, right? God says, I'm your creator. I'm your king. I am your holy one. That's who I am. See, this is, see you can imagine Israel. They're in this great time of distress emotional turmoil. So they won't be feeling like God has their back. They won't be feeling like God's their creator or their king. But God says immediately, I am your creator. I'm your king. That's who I am. See, that brings great comfort to me because it tells me any situation in our life, God never changes. He never changes. He's still the same. He's still all-powerful God. He's still creator and he's still king even if your situation tells you otherwise. And he goes on. He says, this is what the Lord says, and then he goes through what? This is the exodus, isn't it? This is what he's explaining here. God is reminding Israel of the exodus. Their greatest, it was up until Jesus, the exodus was the greatest testament to God's deliverance of the nation. So it was where he brought them out of slavery. He brought them out of 400 years of oppression from the enemy, out to the Red Sea, brought them through the Red Sea where... where, um, the Egyptians were destroyed, where the armies, their enemies were destroyed, brought them out into the wilderness and then ultimately into the promised land. And so this reveals for us the first key that if we want to partner with God in the restoration in our lives, you need to know that God is your deliverer. That's right. You need to know today that God is your deliverer. And, and the reason I love this key is because we don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything in this part. That's the good bit. You just need to know it. You just need to know that God is your deliverer. See, the Exodus is a foreshadowing of the cross. Where, where, where Jesus at the cross, he died on the cross. What happened? We were brought out of slavery, just like the, just like the Israelites were brought out of slavery. We were brought out of slavery. We're brought through the Red Sea. So we're baptized into Christ's death and we're resurrected to new life out into the wilderness right where we see colossians 2:15 said jesus disarmed 
every power and principality triumphing over it through the cross, by the cross. That means the work of the enemy was destroyed. We have the keys to the kingdom. And so the Exodus is a foreshadowing for us of the cross where Jesus, the enemy, is extinguished. He's destroyed, never to rise again. So we have this spiritual deliverance through the cross, don't we? Where we're new creations, where we're new people. it's, It's within us. God's spirit comes within you and you have a spiritual deliverance. But see, when Jesus... It's really interesting when you look in the Gospels, you do a word study on salvation. Whenever Jesus says, uh, like, if you believe in, in the name of the Lord Jesus, or you believe in my name, you'll be saved. You do a word study on that, and it's never just talking about a spiritual salvation. Yeah. Jesus was never just talking about a spiritual salvation. It was physical as well. Yeah. So, so, that, so the, the spiritual deliverance is meant to overflow to a physical deliverance. Amen. So the spiritual deliverance in your life is meant to overflow to every single area of your life. This is the, this is the deliverance, knowing that God is our, is our deliverer. He has delivered you through the cross and he will deliver you. He will continue to deliver you. It's a continual salvation. And so there's one little point in here which is, I think is vital when we're in times of our lives where we feel like Israel, we're in turmoil, we're in distress, where we're, we're, we, we can't see God moving or in hopelessness. And, and I find it interesting here that God says, because when, when we're in those times, it, it's diffi- it can be difficult for us to know that God's our deliverer. And he says, what does he say in verse 16? This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says, Right? I've learned a few things in life, just a couple. But um, one of those is, is that there's many voices in our lives, isn't there? Many voices. In every situation you go through, there's a lot of voices. Um, some are good, some are bad. You know, you've got voices from your friends, uh, voices from your doctor, voices from, you know, vo- voices from people who have gone through the same experiences you have. Oh, well, you know, I had to go through this and, you know, oh, look, I had to struggle with that. And so you'll probably have to do this too. And, you know, all these certain voices, you've got lies from the enemy, the lies of hopelessness, lies of fear, lies of failure, lies of worry, anxiety, all these different voices that try to get us away from knowing that God's our deliverer. Yeah. But see, what does God say? First thing, well, what he says to the Israelites, this is what the Lord says. See, that tells me in every situation, in every area of your life where you need restoration, you actually have to listen to what the Lord says. What does God say about your situation? Father, what are you saying? What's in your word about what I'm facing today? What's in your word about this struggle? Or what's in your word about this hopeless area of my life? What does God say? Because I can guarantee you it'll be very different. I can guarantee you God will let you know that he's your mighty deliverer. That he's the one who brings salvation to your life. It's a work of his spirit. It's not by our performance. It's through God. And so he's telling Israel this. He's saying, yes, you've been through this bad experience, but you need to know today that I'm still your deliverer. I have delivered you through the Exodus. I'll continue to deliver you. And he says that to us today. I've delivered you through the cross and I'm going to continue to deliver you. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
So that's just the first key. Yeah. Let's move on. So we've got verse 18. Then what does he say? Forget the former things. So we've got Israel understanding now that God is their deliverer. Then he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I mean, that's a, I love that scripture. Because what do you need in the wilderness? What do you need in the wasteland? You need direction and you need life. You need streams. God is saying that in every area of our life, you know, you, you look at Israel, they'll be in Babylon, in exile, away from the promised land, away from the promises of God. And so they'll feel like they're in a wilderness, won't they? They'll feel like they're in the wilderness again. They'll feel like they're in a wasteland. And, and in areas of our lives, we can feel like we're in a wilderness. We can feel like we're in a wasteland where we're, we can feel like, you know, oh, can, can you really move here, God? I've got no direction. I don't, is there life here? Areas of your life where you can feel dead and dry. But God says... There's always provision in the wilderness and the wasteland. He doesn't leave us out on our own. That's why I love it. There is always provision. But see, this scripture tells me that there's a few things we have to do to embrace it. So if there's something you have to do to embrace it, you can also miss God's provision. You can miss God's provision in the wilderness, in the wasteland. We see that in Genesis chapter 21. It's the story of Hagar. And Ishmael and Abraham sends them out. Uh, he gives them a, a, a little bit of provision. But Hagar, you know, she's out in the wilderness, uses up all her water and food, and she thinks, well, you know, we're, we're done. You know, I've got, got no provision. Uh, I'm just going to leave the boy over here. I'm going to go away. I don't want to watch him die. Uh, this is a hopeless situation. And we know the story. The angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar, get up, go to the boy, because there's a well of water over there. Your provision is over there, Hagar. See, she's in this mindset of hopelessness. Was the provision always there? Of course it was. It's not like it just all of a sudden appeared. The provision was always there, but she couldn't see it. She missed it because she's living in this certain mindset. She's living in this mindset. It's like it's an insular one. It's it's self-centered where where we're focused on our our pain and, and the things we're going through emotionally. And, you know, we never downgrade pain here um, these things are real things that we go through are tough but you can never access God's restoration for your life if you're stuck in a mindset of pain of victim mentality oh me oh my um, of hopelessness because it's received by faith that's not a mindset of faith and so we, we, we see this here these next two these next two keys for us show us how to how to partner with God's provision in the wilderness. And so we've got, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Interesting. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. God's not saying, well, just, just forget me, forget your whole life, forget all this, forget I've delivered you before, forget that. No, no, he's talking about, it's the principle that he's talking about, this mindset. He's saying, forget, you need it. you need it. Get out because God wants you to see the new thing he's doing. He wants you to get into his provision. You've actually got to get out of a mindset where, where, you, where you're, you're in this, um, you know, where it's so insular and self-centered and, and you've got to get your eyes onto God. And that's the second key for us. And it's praise. Praise 
gets your eyes off of yourself and onto God. Praise lifts your eyes up. It, it, it reminds you that you have this creator who's your mighty deliverer. Praise, is, it comes from the Greek word apanos, and it means to boast. So think about this. In areas of your life where you want to receive God's restoration, where you want re-establishment with his promises, are you boasting in God? Are you boasting in the power of God? Are you boasting in him as your mighty deliverer? Praise exalts. So am I exalting God in those areas of my life? Am I, am I exalting him? It, it means to glorify. Am I glorifying the Father? See, you know, a lot of us, we can, we can glorify the problem. We can exalt the problem rather than God. Yeah. <laughs> God is saying, no, you need to praise. Because it's not that God's selfish. It's not like, well, yes, you just have to praise me. Or like, no, he's saying, because praise gets your eyes out of your problems and it gets you onto God. Psalm chapter 22, verse 3. It says that God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. Is God enthroned? Of course he is. He's always in heaven. He's enthroned, isn't he? He's always enthroned. So what's this scripture telling us? It's saying when you praise God in all these different areas of your life, you actually enthrone him in those areas. See, what I've noticed with a lot of people is we'll say, well, look, I'll praise God and I'll enthrone him in my marriage. I'll enthrone him with my health, but then I don't want to enthrone him at my finances. I don't want him to, I don't want to exalt God in my finances. And see, the whole point is God is saying, if you want restoration, you need to enthrone him in your life. You need to enthrone him, praise him over that area. And so I just want to broaden our understanding of praise a little bit more. So Joshua chapter 6, Joshua is... He's, he's leading the Israelites into the promised land. And he, um, the, the, the smart thing to do, the, the military tactic that God gives him is to take out Jericho, right? If you think of Jericho, it's one of the greatest strongholds of, the, of that land. And so God says, I want you to destroy Jericho. You need to take out your enemy. So what does he do? He, he gets them to walk around the wall, doesn't he? Once uh, every day for six days, walk around the wall, on the seventh day, you have to walk around seven times and then they shout and the breakthrough comes. But if you read the details of that story, what does he say to them? This is in Joshua chapter 6, if you're following. He says, I don't want you to say anything. You're not allowed to say, you know, when you're walking around this wall, you're not allowed to say anything for, for these first few days. You're not allowed to say anything. Get seven priests. So I'll make sure I get that right with my fingers. Seven priests. And... Give each one a trumpet or a shofar. Now, what is that a picture of in the Old Testament? It's a picture of praise. Trumpets are a picture of praise. There also can be a picture of speaking in tongues, which is very interesting. Um, and so he says, these priests are going to walk around the wall. Get them to walk around the wall. No one else is allowed to talk. I don't want anyone talking, just the trumpet sounding. So you've got the army surrounding the priests going, walking with the trumpet, sounding them. And then the Ark of the Covenant, he says, is following the priests. Has anyone got this yet? So the Ark, so the, the presence of God is literally following the praise around the wall each day. No one's allowed to say anything. Presence of God following the praise. And then on the, on the last day, they're all allowed to let out a mighty shout. And then the wall comes crumbling down 
It's interesting, isn't it? That they're not allowed to speak. What's God telling us through this? See, did they have to do something? Well, yes, they did. But God did the work for them. But he's saying, what he's saying through this is, I follow my people's praise. His presence follows your praise. His, his, sorry, his praise. Was that right? Did I say that right? Oh, good. Just making sure. His, uh, so, so praise brings the, brings the restoration. Praise partners us with God's restoration in our lives. It allows God to come and it allows him to perform on our behalf. This is what the Father is saying to us. They weren't allowed to speak. So that tells me that situations in our lives, we can often be very quick to speak things, negative things. We can be quick to partner with, the, with, with this natural perspective. But God says, don't speak yet. Don't speak yet. Praise me first. Get your eyes out of your situation. Get your eyes onto me. This is what the Father is saying. Very interesting. So praise. Israel is in this situation and God is saying, I want you to partner with my provision in the wilderness, in the wasteland. It's there for you. It's there. But you need, it. You, you need to get your eyes off yourself and onto God. You need to praise the Father. You need to praise Him. It's so powerful. Our praise, God loves the praises of His people. Amen? And so let's move on. We're in verse... The second key will be revealed in this next bit. So forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. A new thing. That's the provision in your wilderness. That's the provision in your wasteland. I may, uh, see, now it springs up, right? So it tells me it's going to happen quickly. God's not slow to provide for his people. He provides quickly. Do not perceive it. Do not perceive it. So there's seeing and perceiving, right? There's a few things that we have to do here. God is saying there's provision in the wilderness and I want you to praise. I want you to get your eyes out of your, out of your situation and get your eyes onto me. But then he also says you need to see the provision in the wilderness. You need to, you need to perceive it. What is perceive? Perceive means to see with your mind. So perceive means to see with my mind God's provision. So if you think of the areas in your life where you need his restoration, where you need a reestablishment, God is saying, I want you to look at those areas, but then I want you to see my provision for that area. So for example, with your finances, and there's lack there. God's saying, I don't want you to focus on the lack. I want you to see my provision. How do we do that? Through prayer, through his word, you can get a promise from his word. And he's saying, I want you to see the provision for that. So by the grace of Jesus Christ, he was made poverty so that we might become rich. Amen. You've got to see yourself as a son or daughter of God. You've got to see yourself with access to the kingdom of heaven, to the resources of the Father, to strategies for increase in your life. You've literally got to see it. You've got to picture it with your mind. This is what the Father is, is telling Israel. He says, you, if you want to partner with my provision for your restoration, well, then you have to see it. And this reveals the third key to us. We've got knowing God as our mighty deliverer. He has delivered us. He will deliver us. It's praising the Father. And then the third key is repentance. Repentance. I love repentance. I, I repent every single day. 
Repentance is good. When people say in the church, you need to repent, I say, amen. Yes, we do. We need to repent. Repentance in the Greek, metanoia. So it means to change the way you think. Uh, in the Hebrew, it comes from the word teshuva or, or, or the root word shuv. It's like a S-H-U-V uh, in the English language. And it, it means to turn to God. Now, is, can anyone see God physically? Can you turn to him physically? No. So it's talking about your mind. Same concept. Turning to God in your mind. And so a lot of people have this idea of repentance that, oh, you know, I've got to, every day I've got to get on my knees. I've got to tell God how, you know, if, I, if I've been bad this week or I've got to confess all my sin. I've got to do all this stuff, feel bad, feel sorry for the stuff I've done. And, you know, there is a form of that in repentance. There's, there's a form of, of telling God that the, the things we've done that we feel sorry for. But that's not the main, uh, that's not the, the main, the primary meaning of repentance. It actually means to change the way you think. It's about your belief system, changing what you're seeing over your situation. See, this is about getting God's perspective, changing the way you think, so you get God's perspective on your situation, not your own. Changing the way you think, so you see yourself and your situation the way God sees it. And so we need to get this understanding that repentance actually isn't always connected to sin. Repentance is actually a lifestyle for us. I pray every day. I, I pray to God and I say, help me dream bigger. Help me think bigger. Help me to see this situation as you see it. Help me to uh, get in the Word. Help me to transform my mind. And you know, Jesus, this is why I love Jesus, because he comes to these people. He comes to the Israelites when they're under oppression from Rome. So imagine you're an Israelite and you've got the Romans oppressing you. You're in your promised land. But you've got the Romans, the enemy, have captive over you. They're controlling everything. You're getting taxed out of your pockets. Um, you know, there's a hundred taxes and, and they're thinking, well, they're pretty much they're either farmers or things like that, working class people. And the Romans are oppressing them. Then you've got your own people, your own religious leaders, right? The people who are meant to be sticking up for you, you know, your political leaders. And they're saying, oh, well, we need to do this too. You need to, there's a tax for the temple as well. And you've got to pay that tax and... You know, there's all this stuff going on for the Israelites. You have, to, you have to perform. You know, you have to do all these sacrifices for God. Everything's about performance. We haven't seen God move, haven't seen any miracles. And Jesus comes in. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And what is the first thing he says to these people who are under oppression? He says, repent. Repent, just like John the Baptist. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he saying? He's saying, I know you've gone through all this stuff. I know that you, you, you're struggling, you're living this certain way, but you need to think differently. You need to change the way you think because a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes won't only feed a family now, it can feed 5,000. You need to change the way you think because you're, it, no longer is it for performance, no longer is it performance-based, it's faith-based. No longer are, are the miracles of God far beyond our reach. No, it's, it's right at hand. You've got to change the way you think about your situations. This is what Jesus is saying to the people. And the Father says that to us today. Every place in our life where we need restoration, we need to have a reestablishment back to the promises of God. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to get with God. Change your thinking. See, praise is awesome because praise gets us out of that mindset of hopelessness, that mindset of God can't move and it gets us onto God. 
But see, if you don't change the way you think, what happens when you stop praising? You're going to go straight back to it. And so God is saying, you praise and then repent. You've got to change the way you're thinking about your situation. Change the way you're thinking about, about, um, about your health. Change the way you're thinking about that relationship. Get God's perspective. Get his view on your life. Jesus calls us to live this lifestyle of repentance where we're connected to the mind of Christ so that we can actually perform his will in our lives. I mean, this is so incredibly important that God wants us to change the way we think. Um, you know, I, I've read in my late teens, I've read a few books. I didn't, I didn't read much back then, so that was probably a miracle just reading in itself. You can ask my mum that, she'll testify to that. But I've read a few books, and, you know, and, and a couple of them you know, were on you know, people who wrote all these great scholars and all these great pastors. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, they are good people. But they're writing books on, you know, oh, so how do you deal with sin in your life? How do you deal with all this stuff, you know, overcoming, you know, bondages and, and all this stuff? And it's great. And one of them, you know, was like, well, you better get the elastic band out, put it around your wrist, and every time, you know, you have a bad thought, you know, flick yourself with the elastic band. Because of course that's going to work. Of course when you do that, it's going to inflict pain on yourself. And so, you know, if you, you won't want to think about it again because it's painful. Because it's painful. And, you know, and they say, okay, why don't we just go straight back to the law then? You know, it's ridiculous. If you want to be free, if you need restoration in an area of your soul, if you need a reestablishment with God's promises, if you're struggling with things with like overcoming um, like addictions or, or, or bondages from the enemy, don't punish yourself. You've actually got to see yourself as delivered. Amen. I mean, it's a complete changing of the way you're thinking. But you've got to see yourself as dead to sin, like Jesus, dead to sin and alive to God. You've got to see yourself as that. Because if you don't see it, well, then you're not going to live any differently. All your living comes out of your believing. So you've got to see yourself as a son or daughter of God rather than seeing yourself as a sinner. Paul never, ever, 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 called a son or daughter of God, ever called people in the church sinners. He always called them saints. And that's the truth. And so this is a third key for us in partnering with God's restoration in our lives is that we repent, change the way we're thinking about situations. Change the way you're thinking. Get God's view on who you are. Get God's view on what He's saying on that circumstance in your life. Amen? Amen. And so... Israel do this. They see God's provision. And then we know from history, and this is like factual because it's history. You can look it up on Google and Google's always right, isn't it? Um, <laughs> that Israel were restored. They were restored into the, into the promised land. They were restored back. But, but what happened? Let's look at these final verses because it's interesting. God says you do all these things. You do all these things for your restoration. And then the wild animals, this is interesting, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So that's provision for his people. He provides for you in the wilderness and the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, that's us today, as well as it was Israel, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So what was the whole point of the restoration? is that the nation of Israel 
would proclaim God's praise. That the nation of Israel, that, that every other nation would look at them and they would see that God's done a mighty work in that nation. That's, that's the hand of God right there. They proclaim your... See, the restoration, it's a picture for us of, of our restoration proclaims God's praise to people. See, when you're restored, it's never just for yourself. We can get selfish and think, well, God, I need this for me. But it's actually pointing other people to God. What are the, the, uh, the wild animals on me, the animals and the owls, or, or, or your translation might say ostriches, but honor, value. So the wild animals, the, the jackals and the ostriches, they value God. Well, they're, they're all animals in the Old Testament that are used to living in the wilderness. They're all animals that have their home in the wilderness and the wasteland. It's, it's a picture of people who don't have God in their lives. It's a picture of people who aren't living without God, who, are, who may be going through the same thing that you are, who may be going through the same thing that you need restoration in, and they see, what, they see your testimony. They see how you're partnering with God in that. They see how you're embracing His provision, and they say, you know what? There must be a good God. There must be a Father in heaven who loves us, who's lavished His love upon us, because God has moved in that person's life. Yet they can't deny it. They see God and they say, that's God. There must be a loving Father. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to receive God's reestablishment with His promises in our lives, but but we also want other people to see it. We also want our lives to overflow to others, that there's a release of of your restoration into those who are facing the same thing, the same struggle, the, 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 the same area of your life where you need that restoration, others receive it as well. Amen? Amen. And so, you know, this is a powerful story about how, how God restored Israel, how, how He restored Israel. And, and we see that in our lives, He loves us so much. It is the heart of the Father that not only will people be saved, not only will you be saved spiritually, but you would have deliverance, restoration, in every single area of your life. God never settles. He doesn't. He wants you to have a restoration in every area. We can, we can get disheartened. We can settle. We can say, well, you know, I'll just wait till I get to heaven. But God's saying, you know what? Jesus died on the cross so that you would receive your spiritual deliverance and your physical deliverance. Amen? And so it's knowing God as our mighty deliverer. We know that God's delivered us and he will continue to deliver us. That's who he is. That's his nature. That's what he loves to do. And then we need to uh, get out of a mindset of hopelessness, get out of that natural perspective where we can see our situations in defeat and we get our eyes onto God through praise. So we praise God. We say, we, we, we praise him. Even, it can be difficult in situations, but you get your eyes off yourself and onto God and then we partner with his provision in the wilderness through seeing it. We see his provision through repentance. So we repent. Change the way you're thinking about your situation. We get God's view on our situation about what we're going through, about the place where you need restoration in your life. Is that good? We get that. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you're good, that you've lavished your love upon us. That is your deep desire to see restoration in your people and that it would overflow in every area of their life that that the work of your spirit would overflow in their lives to others. We thank you, God, that you are a loving, that you are tender, 
kind mercies they're new every morning that father your attitude towards every single person who call, who, who you call as a child your attitude is loving favor unearned undeserved grace and favor upon their lives and so father we say that you're good we praise you in every situation lord we don't praise you for what's going on, but we praise you, Father, because we know that you're our deliverer, that you're our mighty deliverer. God, you, you are the God who created the heavens. You are the creator, your king, your Lord. You're still God. You are still almighty God. You still hold the earth in the palm of your hands. Your thoughts to us are like the grains of the sand. And so over every person in this place, we declare that God is the mighty deliverer. He has delivered and He will continue to. He has delivered and He will continue to. We praise You for that, Father. You are good. It's a complete work of Your Spirit, Lord. It's not our performance, but it's through faith. It's through believing in You, Father, because that's who You are. That's, that's Your nature. You don't lie, Father. You're not a man that you should lie. Your promises are true over every single person. And your word says that those who believe in you, those who believe in you for their deliverance shall never be disappointed. Shall never be disappointed. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We change the way we think, Father. Thank you that your perspective is so good. That, that, that you are, your thoughts are higher, but we, we get access to that because we're your children. And so, Father, we thank you for every, every thought you give us about our situation. And we ask right now for a fresh revelation of, a, of who you say we are, of what you say about this city, of what you say about our lives. We ask for a fresh perspective on that in Jesus' mighty name. And I declare in every situation in this city, in our lives, Father, that you've called us to be, bring change You've called us to restore. And so thank you, Father, that as we catch on to your restoration in our lives, that you anoint us to restore this city. That, Father, you've called us to bring great change, to bring restoration. And so we speak that out in Jesus' mighty name. A mighty deliverance upon our lives. There is no hopeless situation because you are with us, Father. So we speak your deliverance upon our lives and upon our workplaces, wherever we walk during the week, Father, that there is the deliverance power of God within us and around us, even though we might not feel it, we know it's there, God, because your Spirit lives within us. And so we declare, Father, of every situation we face this week, God, that your delivering power is upon us, your restoration is there for us and for those around us. Thank you, Lord.